Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Mike Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. You know, as we come into Christmas, I believe that this year's Christmas is probably different to all of us, it just due to the corona thing going on. Can we all agree on that? Is when you think about it, is when I was just really just praying and thinking about Christmas, it's caused many people to simplify their lives, to really just kind of just stop and, and simplify because, you know, with simplify maybe with less, simplify with, oh my gosh, you know, the whole shopping frenzy and the crowds and maybe the travel and the bouncing around and all of that. And, and what it's done is I believe that it's a little bit closer to the original Christmas of what Christmas was really all about. I mean, if you stop and you think about the humility and, the, and just the simpleness of the very first Christmas is basically it was Mary, Joseph, and Jesus in a, it, with some animals around them. And, and Mary probably had a midwife or somebody there to assist. And then the, you know, the, the shepherds came in and then the wise men came in. But it was very, very simplistic, pretty simple. And I think that that this Christmas is one of those that maybe it'll give us the opportunity to really stop, slow down a little bit and say, hey, what's the main deal about Christmas? Is it all about the stuff? And is it all about the glamour? Isn't it all about, you know, running from this house to that house to this house to that house? Or is it about me just stopping and saying, wait, Christmas is about Jesus. That, that's what it's about. You know, as we celebrate Christmas and the birth of Jesus, it's important that we understand the backdrop of Christmas or the very first Christmas. And the reason that I say that is because we typically have a way of transposing our understanding on biblical stories. And so we look and we, when we read something, we transpose, oh, this is the way that it was. How many of you have seen the traditional American, the manger, and the cows even smiling, and the sheep smiling? How many of you, how many of you have seen that? And I'm like, you know what I'm saying? They just, how many of you have ever been around a cow or a sheep that acted like that? You know, there, but there's this, there's this picture and it's, we just kind of, kind of drift off into this, but the Bible says that Jesus came and he, the reason that he w went to the cross and the reason that he was born is because it says in Ephesians one, verse four and five, that it was God's preordained plan before the earth was ever created. You ever think about that? That God's had this plan of Jesus. Some people think, oh, when Adam and Eve sinned, it's like God's like, oh, I got to come up with a plan. No, he knew we were going to screw up before he even created us. How many of you know, that's pretty smart. No, that's not really, he knew we'd do it. And, but he knew in, in what it is. But did you know that in the Old Testament, there was 414 prophecies about Jesus, what he would do the details surrounding his life, whether it be where he was born and, and you know, the prophesied about the Magi and, 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 the, and the shepherds coming in and just all of the details over a 4,000-year period, there was 414 prophecies. And last week, I mentioned Genesis 3.15, and that was the first prophecy that was given about Jesus 
4,000 years before Jesus would come. But one of the greatest things that I love about God is God is always breathing hope over humanity. He always is. And the way that if you, if you study these prophecies, what you find out is that the majority of the time when a prophecy would come forth about Jesus is the people of God would be in a bad spot. They would be in a difficult spot and they would need encouraged. And so what would happen is, is God would send a prophet to them and that prophet would prophesy and he would basically just re and encourage them. Hey, guess what? The savior is coming and it would encourage their heart in that place and in that spot. And God did it 414 times in the old Testament. And a lot of times what we don't realize is they didn't have a Bible like you and I have where you come to church or maybe in your personal studies, you can open up. They had to go to the temple in Jerusalem and then there were scrolls there that only the priest had the, had the right and then he would come out and read them and he would read the scrolls to the people. And, and just like today is they had different groups that believed different things about the Messiah. Kind of like we have denominations today. They, they were very, very similar. And the Jewish people had heard the prophecies about the Messiah over and over again, but most really didn't know the details of it. They knew that a Messiah was going to come, but they didn't really know anything about it. They just knew that he was going to come. And if you study, what you find out is the majority had this view of the Messiah because he was of the lineage of David that when he showed up, he was going to be a warrior and he was going to kick but on the Romans. How many of you are with me on that? And so they had this view of this, of this warrior. He was going to overthrow Rome and kind of really show them who's boss. And there had been these false prophecies that had occurred over and over again. You even see them referred to in the New Testament where it would get difficult and somebody would say the Messiah is born and he, that person would raise up and would, would get a, a following. And, and um, it's kind of like today. You know, today, um, I don't know if you, I, you know, because I'm a pastor, I kind of keep track of this, but the, you know, um, I don't know if you heard the prophecy of in, in 2019 of, um, of in 2020, 20 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 2020. And, um, and in 2019, there was 19 reasons why Jesus is going to come back. And then you got some groups that say Jesus has already come back. And they were even in the New Testament. And so what it is, is there's this, 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 this view. And, you know, if you were to, to live under Roman rule, which basically meant dominance and being heavily taxed, terrorized, brutalized beyond anything that you could ever imagine, that was their culture. And when Jesus came, the Romans had no tolerance for Jewish prophecies. You can see this. If you study history, they had no tolerance. You remember the Bible says that when the Magi or the wise men came into Jerusalem and they said the Savior is born, Herod hears about it and he calls them in and in calling them in, he says to them, he says, go find him, tell me where he is that I might go worship as well. And the Bible tells us it wasn't because Herod wanted to 
worship him, but Herod wanted to kill him. And so as the wise men leave and they're off, the Bible says that they have a dream and the angel and an angel appears to them and said, Herod means to do this child harm. Don't go back to him. And so they go a different way. And it's like a year and a half later and Herod begins to ask questions and say, hey, what about those wise men? And he realizes that he's been deceived. So he calls the religious leaders in and they say, and he asked them, he said, what town is the savior of the world going to be born? And they go and they do the research and they come back and they say, it's Bethlehem. And the Bible says that Herod, dis- he, he sends off dispatches, a, a basically a centurion of Roman soldiers, and they kill every child in that town from two years and under to make sure he got the Messiah. I mean, this was the mentality that Jesus was born into. If you, if you look at him the, in the Jewish law of their day, if a girl was found pregnant before marriage, she could be stoned to death. You know, the, this image that we have of kind of the way that it went, this is the backdrop to the conception of the birth of the Savior of the world. And I want to fast forward nine months where Mary has been pregnant for nine months. Anybody in here ever been pregnant for nine months? How many of you know what I'm saying? Mary is, is nine months pregnant and Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, orders a census to be taken and he orders everybody to go back to their to literally their place of lineage. And so uh, Joseph and Mary's lineage is in Bethlehem. They're in Nazareth, and Bethlehem is 90 miles from Nazareth. And so what you clearly see is Mary's nine months pregnant. She's due to deliver, and Joseph has to take her on a mule back to Nazareth. And if you look at this territory, is this territory is not smooth for the next, for if you look 90 miles, theologians, they believe this. They believe that due to the condition of Mary and the time that they were traveling, the the month that they were traveling in was the wettest month of the year and daytime temperatures in their area was typically in the 30s and at night it would drop into the 20s and sometimes into the teens. She's nine months pregnant and theologians think that the most that they could travel in a day was 10 miles and that explains why there was no more room in the inn because by the time they got there they were there late and everything had filled up could you imagine being Mary on a mule for nine days nine months pregnant either going uphill or downhill for the entire route you know you think about this and you reflect on this They get to Bethlehem, and there's no more rooms. What's available, a barn? They get into the barn, and Mary goes into labor to deliver the Savior of the world, and the only bed available is an animal feeding trough. I'm just going to, can I just share my feelings about this? Can I do that? (laughs) This just seems wrong. How many of you are with me on that? God, you said what? I mean, they're nine days on a mule, 
nine months pregnant. And remember this, they didn't have a Bible. The vast majority of them didn't even know. They didn't know. The Bible says that when Herod wanted to find out where the Savior was to be born, that the religious leaders left and came back and told him it's Bethlehem. That's how he found out. I don't believe they knew it was Bethlehem. So there, if you think about it, is they have no Bible. They don't know the prophecies about Nazareth, Bethlehem, shepherds in the field, magi coming, born in a manger, fleeing to Egypt. They don't know any of these prophecies. God planned it. He was leading them all along, but it sure didn't look like it, and it sure didn't feel like it. And I wonder today how many of us are in a spot where we're trusting God and we're saying, God, I I trust you, but it sure doesn't look like it and it sure doesn't feel like it. I want to tell you something. God's leading you. God is leading you. And if that's not enough, the Bible says that after Jesus' birth, Joseph has a dream and an angel appears to him in the dream and says, Joseph, take Mary and the child and flee to Egypt because Herod is going to try to kill the Savior of the world. Do you realize that from Bethlehem to Egypt is 429 miles? So your wife has just given birth, and we know that because we're going to read a scripture in in Luke 2, that she went to the temple in Jerusalem to dedicate. So we know that they, we don't know exactly where they were, but they, 40 days later, they show up at the temple to dedicate Jesus, but then they go, then 429 miles to Bethlehem. There's only one word that can describe this whole ordeal, and it's the word adversity. Are you with me on that? Now, I don't know about you, but you know, if it was like seven days in, and my wife's pregnant, I'd be like, Lord, are you sure? How many of you know? God, this doesn't feel like it. They're living in the perfect will of God. And what this does is it tells us a lot about Mary and Joseph. It was adverse, but they wouldn't quit. They would not quit. They just wouldn't stop. I stop and I wonder, you think about Jesus. He was raised in this house. These were the parents that raised him. In reading and studying the Bible, God is not American. He is not American. You say, what do you mean? In America, we are all about comfort. The only thing we know about the Bill of Rights is a pursuit of happiness. How many of you know what I'm saying? Our theme song is Have It Your Way. Burger King borrowed it from us. How many of you know what I'm saying? And what it is, is that in studying the Bible, we've got to realize that our American culture is trying to define the goodness of God in and over our life as a life in an absence of adversity. And God is saying, excuse me, but you can be smack dab in the center of my best for your life 
And I want you to look at Mary and Joseph and Jesus. I've got you. I know what's going on. I've got you. I mean, you think about this. Is 40 days later, they show up at the temple to dedicate Jesus. And they run into two people. They run into Simeon and Anna. Do you know what Simeon's name means? Simeon's name means listen, hearken, and pay attention to. That's what his name means. Anna means to have, to have grace and unearned favor. That's what their name means. And I want you to think about it. Is Simeon and Anna have lived in this same environment that Mary and Joseph have been in, except for they've lived in it a whole lot longer. But it did, it dis, they've lived in this environment, but it describes them, as we're going to read about them, that they were people who were filled with hope. They were filled with faith. They were advanced in years, and they were waiting for the fulfillment of a promise. See, people that can live in adverse environments but still hold on to the promise of God in and over their life year after year after year are the people that need to be models to us in our lives. Because we live in a comfort-oriented society that if we get a flat tire, we're questioning if the favor of God is with us. And God is saying, you got to get bigger than this. you got to see bigger than this. And I want to just start reading in Luke chapter 2, verse 32 through verse 38. After Mary's days of purification had ended, it was time for her to come to the temple with a sacrifice. The days of purification after giving birth to a male in their day was 40 days. If you gave birth to a girl, it was 80 days. So we know this was 40 days. That's according to uh, the Levitical law. It says, um, it was time for her to come to the temple with a sacrifice according to the law of Moses after the birth of a son. So Mary and Joseph took, the baby, took baby Jesus to Jerusalem to be dedicated before the Lord. For it is required in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be set apart, one for God. Verse 24, and to offer prescribed sacrifice, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. As they came to the temple to fulfill this requirement, an elderly man was there waiting a resident of Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was a very good man, a lover of God who kept himself pure and the spirit of holiness rested upon him. Simeon believed in the imminent appearing of the one called the refreshing of Israel. For the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death until he saw the Messiah, the, the anointed one of God. For this reason, the Holy Spirit had moved him to be in the temple at the very moment Jesus' parents entered to fulfill the requirement of the sacrifice. Simeon cradled the baby in his arms and praised God and prophesied, Lord and Master, I am your loving servant, and now I can die content. For your promise to me has been fulfilled. With my eyes I have seen your word, the Savior you sent into the world. 
He will, be, he will be glory to your people Israel and the revelation of light for all people everywhere. Mary and Joseph stood there awestruck over what was being said about their baby. Simeon then blessed them and prophesied over Mary saying, a painful sword will one day pierce your inner being for your child will be rejected by many in Israel. And the destiny of your child is this. He will be laid down as a miracle sign for the downfall and the resurrection of many in Israel. Many will oppose this sign, but it will expose to all the innermost thoughts of their hearts before God. Verse 36, a prophetess named Anna, everybody say Anna, was also in the temple court that day. She was from the Jewish tribe of Asher and a daughter of Phanuel. Anna was an aged widow who had been married only seven years before her husband passed away. After he died, she chose to worship God in the temple continually for the past 84 years. She had been serving God with night and day prayer and fasting. I want you to think about this for a moment. She's been serving God in the temple for 84 years. She was married for seven years before her husband died. Okay, realize this, that's 91. How old was she when she got married? We can just readily say, this gal's over 100 years old. Yeah. She's over 100. And look at what it says. While Simeon was prophesying over Mary and Joseph and the baby, Anna walked up to them and burst forth with a great chorus of praise to God for the child. And from that day forward told everyone in Jerusalem who was waiting for their redemption that the anticipated Messiah has come. I think you stop and you look at this story. I look at this story and what's amazing to me is this is on the cap of an incredibly difficult year with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Maybe you're here right now and you've had an incredibly difficult year. I want to tell you this. God right now is sending you Simeon. Simeon means to listen, to hearken, and pay attention. And Anna, Anna means grace and God's favor. No matter what we go through, God's grace and his favor are stronger than what we face. But what he wants to know is what am I listening to? What am I going to let fill my heart? What am I going to let fill my life? Because he's greater than the circumstances we face. He's greater than the thing that you think is difficult and the thing that you think is hard. He's greater than the injustice that you believe is looking and saying, I can't. I want to tell you, you can't. But with the right heart and a right spirit, God can. Give God a shout. Thank you, Lord. You know what I, I, I love about this is in verse 33, it says about Joseph and Mary. Now remember, this wasn't the first time they got a prophecy. Gabriel spoke to Mary at conception. Joseph had a dream and an angel spoke and said, this is the son of God. Take her to be your wife. 
The, the Magi had come and reconfirmed. The shepherds had come and reconfirmed. Elizabeth, who gave birth to John, she prophesied it as well. But what happened is, is they were in a difficult moment, and the Lord speaks hope to us in our difficult moments. God speaks hope to our heart in our difficult moments. I believe that God is breathing hope into them, and he's basically asking them, are you still checked in or have you checked out because of what you've been through? Have you checked out because of what you've been through? You know, whenever we go through things that try to steal our hope, we've got to intentionally recenter on hope and say, Lord, I know that you're faithful in my life. God, I know that you're faithful. I want to give you four thoughts to take to heart to help you recenter. Number one is this. Am I tuned into adversity or the promise? You say, what do you mean by that? Which is bigger in your mind right now? Right now, what is bigger in your mind? The promise and the goodness of God and what he says over your life or the adversity and the stuff that you're facing? Because understand, whichever is bigger is what you're going to tune into and put those sunglasses on and see life through. And God wants to know, what am I tuned into? Is the problem or the promise, which is bigger? Number two is this, is realize that there is no promise without perseverance. There's no promise without perseverance. And this is a biblical principle. We look at, we look right now, I can give you so many scriptures that realize this, that God has great for your life, but you're gonna, go, you're gonna have to persevere. You're gonna have to stand up. You're gonna have to do the right thing. You're gonna have to sometimes, I just say, I just don't feel like it. It's okay, it's not a sin to not feel like it. Do it anyway. Just take one step right after another. Just be like, okay, I'm just going to keep taking a step. I guarantee you, Mary, five days into that mule trip, was not feeling it. How many of you know what I'm saying? I guarantee you, Joseph, when he was all, he had it all planned. He had the honeymoon suite set up, and they came to him and said, she's pregnant. Come again? How many of you know what I'm saying? He wasn't feeling it. But what he said is, okay, God, I believe. I believe. Number three is this is even when I didn't know about it, the adversity, God did, and he has a plan. I didn't know this was going to come. Why didn't God tell me? Because you'd have quit. You'd have quit. You'd have quit. This is what I know. In every season of our life, we're facing a Goliath. And when we overcome that one, there's an ugly one behind that one. How many of you are with me on that? And, and God just says, and in, in, in what it is, is God had prophesied over and over and over about them, but they didn't know it. And the last one, number four, is this. Remember, God is wanting to work the quit out of me so I'll know him as bigger than anything I face. Say, God wants you to know him as bigger than anything you face. If we know God as bigger than anything we face, guess what? Nothing knocks us down. But when we don't know him as 
bigger than we magnify the thing we face rather than magnify the Lord in our life. And I believe all of us, as we come in to this Christmas season, this is not just actions, but it's a heart where I stop and I say, Lord, I realize what you're doing. I realize what you're doing. And you know, when you think about all that God does, maybe you're here and you're still standing, but on the inside, you've quit. On the inside. This is what I know. Before we ever quit on the outside, we first quit on the inside. And God is wanting to get to the inside of you and infuse hope on the inside. I want to just, you know, when you think about church, is maybe you're here new, maybe this is your first time. Our goal is to get you addicted to Jesus. I'm just going to be plain simple. You ever been around an addict? They're just thinking about it all the time. How many of you know what I'm saying? Our goal is to get you addicted to Jesus. You say, why is that? Because if you're addicted to Jesus, your life will be beyond anything you could ever imagine. And that when we go to church, it shouldn't just be, oh, I'm going to sing a couple songs and listen to you get a little stirred, feel a few goosebumps. I mean, oh, yeah, that sounds... We need to stop and say, what is my takeaway from today in my life? God, what are you saying to me, my heart? See, because when we go deeper than just entertainment Christianity and we go to personal relationship Christianity, our life changes. It changes. I want to just give you four thoughts, four thoughts. And these are reflective thoughts. You can pull your phone out. You can snap a picture on them. I believe these are on the app as well. But I want you to just stop in your life right now. Is there an area that I have given up on due to adversity? I've given up. I've given up. Is there an area right now in your life that you've just said, i just given up. It just ain't going to happen. That's not a, how many of you know we all got to face that kind of stuff? Number two is this. Am I willing to get back up? Am I willing? If it wasn't Corona, I'd tell you to nudge your person next to you and say, ask them, but I won't do that because you know what I'm saying. Maybe online, you're watching online and you're watching with somebody. You need to look at the person in there and say, hey, hey, we need to take this to heart right now. We need to take it. Am I willing to get back up right now? The third question is this is what relationships are currently helping and what relationships need adjusted in order to move toward God's best in my life? What relationships right now, they're helping me? Oh my gosh, they're causing me to chase Jesus more. They're causing me to believe more. They're causing me to go deeper. And what relationships can I look and say, you know what, I need to adjust them in order to move toward God's best. The number one relationship in our life is our relationship with God. It trumps every other relationship, every other one. And the last question is this, is ask God to help you do what you know you need to do. Just ask him. Just stop and just say, God, I quit a long time ago and I don't really feel like it, but I can see you want me to. So I'm saying, help me. Help me, God. Help me, God. Stand to your feet.